Welcome, everybody. You're listening to Talk Clean to Me. I'm your host, Joe Karen. And I'm Chloe Holzinger. And today we're sitting down with the amazing, peerless uh, Katie McDonald, one of the uh, coolest people you'll meet on the clean tech scene, especially here in Boston. Katie, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, so, Katie, I forgot to prep you for this, but um, if you could just give us like a 15-second uh, like intro on you know, where you are right now in your role. Totally. So I'm currently Director of Strategic Partnerships here at Greentown Labs, where we are sitting for this interview. And Greentown is the largest clean tech incubator for hardware companies in the U.S. Cool. And in her free time, Katie is also essentially our de facto co-founder. Oh, yeah, so that's right. She's the secret third member of uh, Talk Clean to Me. Katie actually introduced Chloe and I when I told her about my idea for a podcast, and uh, the rest is history. I like connecting talent. That's my job. <laughs> She's nice. good at it, too. Uh, cool. All right. Director of Strategic Partnerships. What does that mean, Katie? So my new favorite analogy for what I do here at Greentown Labs is that when you think of a giant company like a corporation that's got like, you know, 10 different business units, a ton of different operations, those entities that work in the energy sector or food sector or water sector, they're enormous and they move pretty slow. But the world around them moves pretty fast, which means they need opportunities to find new innovation that's going to help them serve the next generation of customers. So what I do is help those companies connect with startups and innovators and technologists that can help give their future business an edge. And what I like to say is big tanker ships that are headed towards shore but can't see the horizon need speedboats or startups <laughs> to basically help see new shores think about the future of their business. So that's what we're doing here is connecting those folks. Cool. As a boat person, I support that analogy. <laughs> yeah, boat, boats tend to come up a lot on the podcast for some reason. Um, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about what you see the importance of programs like the Clean Tech Open or Greentown Labs. What is that vital function that they serve in the ecosystem? How do you think about that? Definitely. Well, so, you know, when you look at our industry writ large, right, and you look at the number of startups you guys have already interviewed, you've got people that just to make a generalization, tend to fall in two different buckets. You've got people who are popping fresh out of college with a great idea or technology who want to turn it into a business, but have no experience doing that. And then on the flip side, you've got people who, you know, are experienced founders. Maybe they've started a clean tech company in the past. Maybe they haven't, but they're trying to get rolling as a startup. So for the companies that are new, that don't have any experience and that have a nascent team, an accelerator and an incubator is a great thing. They usually pop out of university with very few network connections, very little resources in the funding department, and very little focus in particular because they've never started a business before. And so being part of an accelerator can basically fast track their network development so they're getting validated in front of the audiences they need to actually attract money to their business while also managing the first steps of putting process around their business and technology development. And that's really critical because if you're an experienced founder, chances are you've done that before. You kind of know how to think ahead. But if you're a company that hasn't done that before, you tend to just be focused on the day-to-day. -day, and that's where we see companies that are going to take about 10 years to commercialize, which is an industry average in clean, the clean tech sector, really struggle because they need to project over 
over that period of time, but they can get so focused on the day-to-day that it really trips them up. So these programs are really about having people take the long view and thinking strategically about where to go. Oh, sorry, that's definitely something I credit Greentown Labs with doing like I think no one else is doing is having people like yourself and like Michaela doing the um, manufacturing uh, initiatives, right? Kind of having resources that engage startups earlier on in their career with these problems that they're going to face down the road. And if they're just thinking day to day about what they need to do in that immediate moment, they're going to be totally blindsided when they need to start thinking about scaling up their physical product or thinking about different channels or different partners, right? In the case of my program, we think a lot about investors and how we can get around kind of the valley of death that's occurred in this industry where there's a ton of interest from conventional VCs and then an acknowledgement that clean tech can be, especially clean tech hardware, can be so CapEx intensive that it's difficult to get the same return on investment as with traditional software. A lot of, there are a number of Greentown companies um, across a wide range of disciplines. And some uh, I would consider more obviously clean tech than others. Um, would you say that across the board, they all have encountered roughly the same problems as a clean tech company by your definition? How do they uh, compare, I guess, in terms of their needs? Definitely, good question. So basically, the way that I see it is that some of our companies have said, check this out, there's an industry that is ripe for innovating. I have a product that is going to help incrementally build on the efficiency of an existing product. So take a company like Walkglass, who we worked with this past year, who had an anti-reflective coating for solar panels, basically. They're saying, hey, we can dramatically cut the efficiency of this existing you know, mo- solar module, which has been widely popularized, whose levelized cost of energy is su- low to the point where it's super competitive with oil. So that's an established industry they're trying to disrupt, right? Then you've got companies like, for instance, Grove or AMS or Open Water Power or other companies that are basically saying, hey, we've got this disruptive product that is different enough from what's out there that we might be trying to create a new market or we might be massively challenging the incumbents who are out there. So I think that each of those types of companies, to your point, Chloe, are just dealing with completely different things um, and different challenges. So one way I think of the space you exist in is as you personally as a liaison between big corporate partners and startups, what's the biggest challenge in getting them to communicate with one another? (laughs) Yeah, let me see if I can pick one. Um, (laughs) I don't know if there's just one, but it's a great question. Um, I guess, you know, so when you think about a startup, as, as we talked about earlier, I mean, it's usually a few people. There's super varying levels of experience that a team might have, right? And so the entire makeup of a startup is what's the emergency today? How do we apply our limited resources in limited time to addressing those emergencies of today in order to basically stay afloat and further our vision? For a corporate, it's a huge organization, complex decision-making structures, different prerogatives for each of their business units in many cases. Um, Many times they don't even necessarily know how they want to interact with startups and they're kind of learning as they go, just Mm -hmm. like the startups are. So connecting those two entities really is like connecting, you know, a gorilla and an ant. It's just totally different thought processes neurologically in a lot of ways. 
So what we found is, you know, by acknowledging those differences, we can break down barriers to communication that enable people to really understand how to work together. And it's not easy. I really, you really thought about these analogies. <laughs> I, really, <laughs> I love analogies. <laughs> cool. Well, um, you, you mentioned the valley of death. You know, that's, that's a term that's existed for as long as I've been involved in startups, which admittedly is not very long in the grand scheme of things. But, you know, over the, in the time that you've been, and, I, and you entered around the same time, I think, Katie. So we kind of were born into the world of entrepreneurship with this idea of this huge valley of death. Could you explain what it is? And like, do you, are we crossing it? Like, is, is progress happening across this valley of death? Yeah, definitely. Well, so, okay, so the value of death for people that don't know is essentially this very, very difficult time in a hardware startup's life where they've probably come up with an idea already. They might even have a working prototype. But in order to address any iteration of that prototype and change a physical piece of hardware that is their product, they're going to need a serious capital expenditure that will probably, unless the entire team is willing to eat ramen and they have really wealthy relatives, probably require outside investment. Mm -hmm. So that's a period of time when companies really are scrambling to find a revenue source that's going to help them get from A to B. But the challenge is many times at that stage, their product isn't fully tested and they're looking for revenue in order to test it. So you asked about solutions. What's out there to help startups? There are a lot of great tools that are emerging to do that. So number one, obviously, as we've been talking about corporates, there's a lot of corporate venture capital groups that are doing strategic investments in earlier stage stuff, which can really help companies cross that chasm. There are organizations like Prime Coalition mm -hmm. that are bringing together yep. family offices to make project-related investment, which is super valuable. Yeah. There are a lot of wealthy individuals that are joining angel associations, which is excellent. So figuring out how to pool money and make you know group investment decisions at the angel level, which can really help companies and give them leadership on their board and within their in their advisory community. Very important. Um, very important. And then of course there's you know government grants, which have always been a real staple for companies that are testing technology. So the SBIR program, other government grants, you know, DARPA, the DOE, and DOD all tend to do really great work in finding innovators and helping them at this stage where creating a proof case and proof point and proof of concept is of the essence. Mm -hmm. Cool. Uh, Clean Tech Open, um, their theme of the year was essentially water. Uh, Mass EC's theme was water. Uh, Greentown is looking to expand to the water space. Um, new one is obviously water, like it's, it's the title. <laughs> Which um, it's New England Water Water Innovation, Innovation Network. Network. Yeah. Um, hey, new one. And Katie has participated in at least three out of the four of these um, organizations, um, debatably all four of them. <laughs> and I was wondering if you could talk about a how all of these comp organizations decided to converge on the water theme um, and we'll go from there. My observation um, just about all of these industry themes, water included, is that every few years we see a big change in what 
the clean tech industry is interested in. And a lot of that has to do with just resource use and efficiency globally, right? So, you know, this year was the hottest year on record. This past year, 2016, there's a lot of acknowledgement and the World Economic Forum has captured this beautifully from corporations that water is a massive resource that they need to pay attention to and will become a risk for them in their operations if mm. they don't. So there's a lot of big factors that are creating market demand for solutions in this area. The lowest hanging fruit possible this past year, infrastructure became a huge thing on everyone's agenda because what happened in Flint, Michigan. And the reality is that so much of our infrastructure is aging in the United States that this is really a canary in the coal mine that we're going to hear a lot more about. There's excellent opportunities to address this big failure in these systems, whether it's, you know, old pipes or you know, leaky treatment systems or lack of detection technology. Um, we're, we're all on the front lines of this because we all benefit from this infrastructure and we all drink water. So I think that's what has kind of sparked this alarm within the clean tech innovation industry that, hey, there's this huge problem that's at the tip of our fingers. How do we address it? Furthermore, we see, you know, along the World Economic Forum's note about the importance of water, a huge response from the developing world that, hey, with climate change, occurring and weather patterns changing um, and the reality on the ground being different for people, there's going to be even higher demand in populations that are already using a ton of water. I'll share a few of the stories of companies that I've worked with that I think are most exciting and then I'm happy to talk about how organizations can mm -hmm. collaborate. But two examples of companies that I really feel like are riding this trend who I've worked with are Number one, a company called Vironment, which is out of Minneapolis. And I met them when I was working with Clean Tech Open, and I spearheaded a national water prize. So we were basically work, trying to work to find a company that was addressing this infrastructure problem in a creative way. So we found Vironment, and um, their CEO, Paul, talked to me a lot about what he's been doing and how he's been working on ways that industrial applications can and users can basically separate waste from water in their operations and continue to reuse it. It, and we decided to give him the water prize um, last year, which was really exciting. And actually, that same day that he got the award, he texted one of his colleagues who was visiting Malaysia on a trip to meet with the largest rubber glove OEM in the world and showed the rubber glove OEM the picture of the award, which actually got them a purchase order and got wow. them invited to Malaysia to participate in an award ceremony um, for their technology in the, in the partnership that it implied between the US and Malaysia. So that's really, and a really exciting example of how timely some of this stuff is that, you know, whether it's industrial organizations or municipalities, people are looking for this cutting edge technology to try to save water. Um, another really good example of a company that we worked with with Clean Tech Open was Drinkwell. And they had an arsenic oh. filter. You remember because you were in the program. Minaj, right? Is, what's his Minaj Chowdhury. Yeah, yeah exactly. Great guy. So for those of you that don't know who are listening, Joseph Karen was in Clean Tech That's Open. True. So excited. <laughs> so, rise, um, rising star award recipient. <laughs> <laughs> so that's right, everybody. Still yeah. rising. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Still, still rising. Never stop. Never Fading. Never fade. Um, but yeah, so Minaj was working on technology and still is called Drinkwall, which basically took these arsenic filters and put them in water treatment centers within communities in the developing world, in particular India and Bangladesh. Where arsenic is a very, very, very big problem in Prolific. their drinking water. Totally, yes. totally. And the result of him monetizing that system within Clean Tech Open, based on some seed funding that he got, was just way more dispersed access to the system and some real results that pr proved that 
you know, with access to technology like the Drinkwell technology, communities can drink safer water. So those are two examples of companies I've worked with. And that kind of brings space. us back to this valley of death, right? Like you need to vet your technology in a way that is credible and hopefully third party validated in order to generate interest, right? It's it's a chicken and egg problem, right? You can't build your technology until you have money. No one will give you money unless you have proven technology. You can't prove it because you don't have technology yet, right? Exactly. And that's exactly what we're finding here at Greentown. And I'm really, I'm most excited about, um, we've had, yeah, multiple companies here that are in the throes of trying to figure that out. Yeah. I think it's the most interesting problem, you know, facing clean tech startups. Definitely. And we've had a lot of other companies pursue really creative pilots, whether it was, you know, tag up who tracks industrial hardware assets and equipment. Our first interview. Your first interview. Amazing. Well, then, you know, I think, I think really one of the next big waves of clean tech will be, especially in the innovation world, how do you break down barriers to get these things installed, use them as proof cases, and then catalyze the deployment of clean tech widely. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned something earlier I'm interested in, which is that the, the clean tech industry kind of goes through these phases of things it's interested in. How do you tell what the next big wave to ride is in, in the clean tech industry? Um, yep. So me, we at Greentown, actually, we come up with the trends and then we report them. That's how it works. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, we try to do that and we do a great job with our marketing team. But yeah, I mean, it's a good question. So ultimately, in my opinion, one of the most interesting things to do is to think about like basically the riskiest industries out there and what they're going to do as tides change. So during the Obama administration, that was how are these people going to deal with regulation? Um, in our current day and age, it's how are they going to deal with climate change and additional risk and you know um, collaborating overseas. So any company that has um, a risky business and supply chain in any in any form or in any way is going to be looking at technology to help them. Um, be more efficient and productive. Hmm. So a few of the different trends that I guess I can cite is that, um, you know, with the cost of oil and gas super low, there is a big movement to create more commodity chemicals on site at treatment plants. Um, and there's a company called Lanzatech, which is doing that, which is really, really awesome. They're basically figuring out how to use microbes to create um, synthetic microbes that can then turn a fossil fuel stock into a bunch of different industrial chemicals that can, can be sold on site. So instead mm. of taking oil and gas and shipping it to remote locations and then processing it into chemicals, they're basically coming up with a solution that can be used in one spot. And I think one of the reasons they're a really cool example of what's possible is that the entire industry is leaning into this whole idea of a circular economy and into this idea of doing more with the resources we have. And I think that's going to continue. This whole idea of cradle to grave is going to become critical to every single industry that relates to clean tech. Um, and we've seen that in a lot of ways in, in the way that a, lar- a lot of large companies have be- been thinking about the reuse of water. We've been thinking about, we've been seeing that in a lot of ways as companies think about what kind of battery systems they're going to use and communication systems they're going to use to optimize the grid, not necessarily add new energy assets, but optimize what we already have. So really, whether it's, you know, food or energy or water, I think, you know, there's rampant opportunity for technologies to think about how we close the loop, minimize Mm -hmm. waste and come up with new solutions. You know, just my whole, my whole dream, right, for our industry is that when there are big problems like this, whether it's nitrogen or addressing climate change, 
change or thinking about the future of shipping or whatever it is that's a clean tech opportunity, you know, I think one thing we've seen is that people want to do something, right? Like entrepreneurs are excited, but many times they start from a place of not being educated about the market reality. And I think if I've seen one thing in my experience, that's what it's been, that people come into an, ex an experience because they have a technology they want to apply, not because they understand the market reality and want to create a solution for it. So I think we as people that work for incubators and run podcasts and support the clean tech industry need to do a better job of calling out where there really are solutions that are needed and mm -hmm. kind of basically designing the future moonshot programs in the United States for clean tech, empowering young people to be armed with that market data and those resources to team together to address those problems. Because, you know, we can identify tons of resources till the cows come home once a startup's already popped up into existence. But the real order of operations we, be, which we, we should be looking at is where are the biggest innovation opportunities and pain points and how can we solve them? Yeah, that's really cool. I like that idea of you know certain members of the innovation community, be it Greentown or Clean Tech Open, being kind of a a standard bearer or a rallying cry for certain problems and saying, hey, here are the problems we're facing now and in the near future. Here are some resources to get you thinking about the market realities and the problems and who has them. Uh, have at it, entrepreneur. Get together. And here's a space for you guys to get together and to think it through. Totally. Yeah. And I mean, that's that's definitely what we did with the Sunrise program right. we ran last year with DSM. You know, DSM, who's an excellent leader in innovation, um, has articulated a challenge they see in creating solar modules that resulted in a program for startups that had technologies to address some of those material enhancement opportunities. But, you know, it, it can't end there. There's so many um, challenges that need to be solved. And I think, yeah, to your point, Joe, you know, we'd love to be and will continue to be a resource in place, physical place for talented people to get on it. Cool. Our last interview that we had yeah. was uh, pre-inauguration. So pre-cabinet appointees, um, pre this past uh, week and a half of uh, the brand new Trump administration. In the new light of um, developments on the EPA front for uh, DOE, Sunshot Awards are super common uh, in Boston. Mm -hmm. And uh, the projected increase in DOD spending, how do you think the Trump administration is going to affect Boston's clean tech community? Um, one thing I'll say is that, you know, you know, if you, I think that it's great when you see situations like this morning when someone like Rick Perry, who, you know, denounced the DOE initially, says that he regrets it and is interested in, you know, continuing to fund in innovation and research into renewables and other energy and clean tech measures. Um, you know, really that critical period that we were talking about earlier in terms of research and development around first prototype is a really important timeline for us to rely on government resources. I mean, about 35% of the money that Greentown companies have raised has been from government grants. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's where we're going to be looking for the DOE um, and ARPA-E and the DOD to continue to make investments. And, and we really want to make sure that we're working with those entities to educate them on how those investments not only affect important things like climate change um, and the environment, but also affect the bottom line of the U.S. government and make us a more secure and economically viable country. Um, so moving to another topic. Cool. So forgive me if this question runs a little long, um, but it's kind of a one I'm personally invested in. So, well, A, 
I'd love to hear the story of how you first were drawn to clean tech and clean energy. And then as a second part of that question, so you were in, a, I think, a, a rare case drawn to the, the ecosystem level of the innovation community, right? Not necessarily being in a startup itself, but kind of being a, a shepherd or being in the... <laughs> <laughs> I like it, shepherd. But being in roles where you kind of, you know, think high level about bottlenecks in the startup community and you're creating communities and spaces and you're kind of playing a support role to many, many, many different startups. So I'm curious to, to A, know your, your initial interest and B, um, how you ended up taking that path rather than going to a startup more directly. Yeah. So um, I was born. No, I'm kidding. Uh, I'm sure people have done that on the podcast before. <laughs> oh, no. so, uh, oh, you'd be the first. <laughs> when I was just, well, to dial it back pretty far, um, when I was in high school, my dad was obsessed with reading books about oil shortage. So he read like Hubert's Peak and, um, you know, all sorts of wars about uh, books about wars in the Middle East. And I think through that experience um, with him and, and, you know, my parents had a biodiesel car when I was growing up. So they were totally all about, you know, dependence on, no, um, excuse me, independence from foreign oil. Good parents. Um, yeah, love them. Thanks, <laughs> mom and dad. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, I mean, that really got me thinking at a young age about the implications of our use of resources on communities around the world, you know, especially because we grew up during the time of the Iraq war. And so that really lit a fire in me to do something about it and, and to think about, you know, how we can just live with less, basically, and think about innovating our systems that we collectively rely on in a way that is more efficient. So um, when I was in college, I started an organization with a bunch of students from around the Northeast uh, called Students for a Just and Stable Future. And we basically wrote policy solutions. So we had meetings with the governor. We worked on climate change related stuff. We thought about how policy could solve a lot of these energy problems. We proposed a bill for 100% renewable energy, um, which just happened, by the way. A bill was just proposed for Massachusetts for 100% renewable energy. We did it before it was cool. Um, <laughs> long story short, um, I, from that experience, I really realized that you know, policy is vital and advocacy is vital, but I didn't want that to be the only way that I was addressing some of these problems. I wanted to be working with people who were using their hands and thinking creatively about solutions. Um, and that was cemented by a trip that I took to Nicaragua where I lived for six months and, and watched families basically lose their entire annual income from crazy climate change weather patterns that ruined their chance of water and, and wiped out their entire coffee crop, right? So I came back to the U.S. after college, and I was like, oh, man, I really want to work with some of these innovators. Luckily, had an internship with Clean Tech Open where I got a taste of that um, and then ended up applying to be director shortly thereafter. So I think that, you know, as soon as I was in an environment where creative people that weren't willing to take no for an answer were coming up with real solutions to this stuff, I was totally hooked. Um, and I have been ever since. I continue to be active politically, but um, there's something about the energy in this industry, as you know, Joe, from starting your own company, and as you know, Chloe, from being True. in a startup, that's really dynamite. And um, it's basically, instead of suggesting solutions in some sort of hypothetical way, really suggesting tangible stuff that people get excited about. And I think that leads into my next question, which is, how have you been balancing going to work and doing good work and focusing on career helpful things and also staying true to your activist advocating roots? Yeah, good question. 
So, you know, I, in my personal opinion, um, I don't see a beginning and end to my advocacy, and I wouldn't even really call it advocacy. I think that um, those of us who are active citizens definitely see the value in strengthening democracy through every interaction we have. And that might seem like really kind of out of touch and like, oh man, like, how do you do that? Um, that's not real. But I think that, you know, one thing that we've done at Greentown, and really one of the big reasons I'm here, is that there's a strong community, right? And communities matter. It's it's the little things. It's connecting with someone at, during a coffee break. It's asking someone how their day went. It's talking through difficulties that we all face together and helping people address them. And, you know, as we have learned here, um, big problems can't be tackled without that attitude. And so I don't, I, I, it's hard for me to draw a line where my political advocacy starts and ends, but I think it's really a mindset of trying to carry that, those values into every day. That's awesome. That feels really good to hear. <laughs> <laughs> I have one more from last night. Okay. Lay um, it down. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, one of my pet interests, uh, yes. secret passions, uh, <laughs> really primary goal in life is <laughs> <laughs> is to explore um, diversity within the clean tech community mm, right. and how uh, Greentown, Massey, startups in general are trying to increase diversity in ethnicity, gender, political view, um, sexual orientation, uh, what else? Let's say personality and humor as well. Um, <laughs> totally. Yeah, just be aware and increase diversity when you're already strapped for resources. Mm -hmm. Totally. And how do you, as operating at the ecosystem level, really encourage that? Our community is only as good as the diversity of ideas and creativity within it. So, you know, we're stronger when we're more diverse because, you know, as studies have shown and as we know from experience, different perspectives yields more interesting and viable outcomes. Um, and just on a day-to-day, -day, a way more, um, you know, encouraged and fulfilling community for those who are who are within our four walls. So, you know, that's why we're committed to diversity here. Um, as far as the clean tech sector as a whole and how Greentown relates to it, I mean, it's really difficult, as, as we all know, and as you know, Chloe, from being a mechanical engineer in this industry, um, there still are a lot of fundamental problems with the way that we um, educate women and minorities in STEM. Um, and I think that, you know, it's not overzealous to say that we need to start at that fundamental level and getting more people empowered at a younger age to really feel like they can step up and say yes to opportunities um, and raise their hand when it comes to solving a big problem or being the first. Being the first isn't easy. Um, and that has to be something that we're getting people excited about and supporting them with. Um, besides Greentown, on a personal level, I mean, I do what I can as much as I can to reach out to women who are CEOs or thinking about entering the industry to just encourage them. I think, you know, a lot of people did that for me in my entire career, and it's just critical to have that continue um, because a rising tide lifts all ships. So, you know, I think what we found is that, you know, no one is exempt from the responsibility of empowering other people um, to really get closer to, 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 to meeting this vision of diversity, even those who would not consider themselves diverse or minority. Um, but in my life, you know, that really just means kind of looking for people one-on-one -on -one and, and trying to help them out. And you mentioned uh, the difficulty in being first. Um, I think the follow-up question to that is once you are first, once you are that one woman in the company 
or one female CEO in the whole group of startup male CEOs. Um, how do you maintain that? How can companies retain uh, a diverse employment? Why is it hard to retain diversity? You know, women and minorities who are in a workplace that is majority white male or what what have you um, definitely need something different, right? You know, you don't show up to work and just shed the rest of your identity. <laughs> and so I think a really strong way that you know, people who, especially executives, um, can, can think about addressing this problem is number one, you know, looking to women who have been leaders or minorities that have been leaders in the industry. And, you know, without tokenizing them, if there is a connection to be had, you know, talking to them and, and asking them how you as an executive can be a steward of best practices that help people like them achieve what they have. Um, and and you both from like a granular level of, you know, management style to promotions and longer range plans for a company's diversity plan. Um, so I think referencing those success cases is important because those are people that have experienced every, you know, phase of, of these potential challenges. On a totally separate note, I think you're point's critical. It's like you've got to keep your people close. If you've got a company and there's people who you think could, um, you know, in any way feel as though they are the odd one out, I think it's critical to create a space for conversation and just ask them, um, you know, what they think that this environment or the work environment at hand could use to, to make it a more productive place for them. And I think that that, you know, is not just a good best practice for, for minorities and women. It's a good best practice for management period. I agree. Cool. Preaching of the choir here, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but it's important to talk about, and it's something that uh, I have wanted to talk about in the past. Um, making that argument for your business might survive better if you increase your diversity um, is a hard topic to talk about. Um, it's something that co-founders and directors are maybe more likely to take, uh, take critically. Totally. Yeah. I mean, hey, it's like entrepreneurs are taking risks every day. There's another risk to take, but it's really rewarding. So I think the whole industry is up for the challenge. Cool. All right. Kind of, I posed this to you a little earlier, but, you know, in your already long and storied career in, in clean <laughs> tech, I'm curious to know, like, what you consider your personal, like, you know, highest high, like either biggest accomplishment or just like that best feeling you got from from working in clean tech, if you can narrow it down to one. Yeah. So I think that my best moment in clean tech was actually kind of just a moment of epiphany that I had. <laughs> and it was uh, kind of ironically enough in the middle of the Amazon rainforest. Nice. Um, setting. Yeah, you know, typical setting for epiphanies. Yeah, that's where they um, happen. <laughs> in this town in Peru called Iquitos on the Amazon River. Um, so this particular place is it was a place that a company called Toilets for People, who I had met in Clean Tech Open, was visiting to build composting toilets. So I was like, hey, you know, if you guys need any help, and I actually almost said it jokingly, send me down there. And they're like, well, we actually do need help down there. So, <laughs> so they sent me down to build toilets uh, during Christmas break. And I'll never forget 
um, you know, we were hauling one of these toilets, which was probably like about 150 pounds, and literally 10 or 12 people in the village had come together to lift this thing up with pulleys. Um, and the thing you need to know is that all these people in this community live in these houses on stilts because the river rises about a story, a full building story every year um, seasonally. So we're lifting it up into someone's really second floor stilted home um, with 12 or 15 people. And I remember we finally got it up there. And the woman whose house it was was just like, I don't really want to open the top of the toilet and I don't really want to use this. And I think at that whole moment, you know, after spending about a week building these toilets in sweltering heat, covered in flies, you know, in an area that didn't have sewage control, I realized, wow, you know, there is no product that can just go blindly into a market without a company knowing its customers. So I think, you know, besides learning about customer discovery through all my work with Clean Tech Open, seeing a lot of startups think through it academically, that was really a, a big learning lesson for me that, you know, we need to be responding to real pain points in the industry to have effective businesses. We talk about product market fit all the time. <laughs> it's another big product toilet fit. Product toilet fit. <laughs> <laughs> it is a running theme for us. Well, it's a running theme for startups. Yeah, it's, absolutely. It's the first thing you have to figure out. Super important. And then you run into the valley of death, and it's all downhill <laughs> from there. So I actually have a question for you guys. Ooh. Sure. Oh, and my shoot. question for you guys is, um, I know all three of us spend a lot of time preaching the gospel of clean tech, but if there was going to be you know, one outcome or epiphany that you hoped that listeners of Talk Clean to Me had after listening to all of your work, what would you hope that it was? Do you want to go first? I have my answer. I have my answer too. You should go first though. Okay. Um, I would hope that these series of episodes would help them uh, gain better access to people like you, Katie, and people who have already overcome a number of the, the basic problems of starting your own business. And that accelerates their process of starting their own business and gives them confidence that they can do this too. Um, and so that they can skip over the mistakes of their, <laughs> their older brethren and, um, <laughs> and... Hopscotch their way to success. Right. Love and it. in the process, make the world a cleaner, uh, cleaner place faster because um, God knows the climate needs it. Amen. For me, I just want our listeners to realize, to listen to stories like these and just go, I can do that. There's, there's no reason I can't. I, I have a passion to make the world a better place. I have the talents to do it. Um, I might not have the perfect idea yet, but I, I can do that. I can start a company. I can work with a company. I can find the right people. And I think a lot of people, especially in our generation, kind of have that passion that they, they want to do something. They want to do something cool, and, and they're creative, and they're talented, and they're smart, and everybody is in their own way, right? And they just, and they need a place to be with other people like that, or they need, they, and I just want them to know that they can do stuff like this. Anybody can do stuff like this, right? It, it doesn't take much more than, like, just the, the, the passion to do it. So that's, that's kind of my, my thought about that. I love it, guys. I love it. Well, yeah, I mean, I echo that. I, I think a lot about some of the things you're talking about, Joe, just in like the grit and determination that 
our forefathers, right, applied <laughs> to achieve great things. And I think, you know, I'm particularly obsessed with NASA. For anyone that knows me, I went to NASA this year and I cried. It's pretty exciting. Um, but besides that, you know, I think it's still a really wonderful hallmark example of grit and determination and science applied to solve a super big problem, putting an American on the moon. And I think that if people in this industry, especially new people that know they want to be involved in this industry, can really try to approach getting involved and taking action and doing their best with that same or even a sliver of that grit and determination, we will be better off together. Definitely. Well, I think that leads us, that was a great outro, actually. Katie asked my own question. Um, <laughs> <laughs> nice. So I think we're ready to close out. How about you? All right, cool. Take us away, Chloe. So in the show notes, you will find more on Katie's extensive background, and we will do our best to uh, link to all the resources that she, she mentioned and uh, condense her extensive LinkedIn profile to less than a paragraph. I'll say we'll also try to link to all of the startups that Katie mentioned in the show if we yes. can. So if you heard one that sound int sounded interesting, you just Google it, A. But B, it'll also be right in our uh, show notes. Yes. So please, please visit our website at talkcleanpodcast.com um, to see that. And if you'd like to support the show, please tell a friend, tweet about us. We are at TalkCleanPod on Twitter and Instagram. Or uh, we are now, if you missed our Twitter Woo! announcement, we are on iTunes. Oh, yeah. So Yay. please leave us a, a no, review. You have no excuse. You um, have to give us a five-star review. Please, 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 please give us a review. Um, five-star review with comments and a challenge. I have one. I have one. Deliver flowers to your favorite clean tech company on Valentine's Day. I would do that. Okay, cool. That means this is coming up before Valentine's Day. Maybe just any time day. <laughs> Deliver yeah. flowers and or a romantic gesture. Song or chocolate is also allowed. Okay, so we will we will we'll do a, a performance for our favorite startup. If I think get. it's I think it's the reviewer's favorite startup. The reviewer's favorite. So I the love reviewer that. names it. Okay. So yeah, definitely. So name your name the the startup you would like us to go to and profess our undying love for, and we will find a romantic way to make that happen. Cool, crushed it. Thanks for listening. Thanks everybody. Bye. Thanks guys. Thanks, Thanks Katie. Katie.